relics or uh, pottery, uh, anything of the Ark of the Covenant that resided in the tabernacle of Israel would be the most significant archaeological find of all time. See, there are uh, pyramids. There are the Stonehenge that is in uh, England today. There are the Aztec monuments, the Incan monuments, all these things. Uh, these are ancient structures that uh, scientists and archaeologists uh, and all kinds of experts are pouring over these, uh, just taking readings on these, mapping these out, studying every minute detail of these structures as they stand today in hopes to unlock some understanding of past culture, some understanding of peoples of a, of a bygone day, and there are people that spend their whole lives just studying Stonehenge or studying the pyramids or studying other archaeological finds. More recently, these pyramids and Stonehenge and these other things have brought, uh, have had brought to them uh, more uh, occult significance. And many of you may have heard of or maybe read before you were saved the, the uh, book Chariots of the Gods. And this was uh, largely a UFO uh, thing. But what it did was it uh, left all of these uh, archaeological finds, the, the Stonehenge and the pyramids, the, uh, the Incan uh, structures, and sought to interpret uh, what those were in the light of uh, visitations from other planets, and uh, sought to uh, uh, interpret those in light of, uh, of another uh, extraterrestrial uh, race or even God himself that was trying to communicate to the human race through these structures. And so a great wave of interest and movies were made and, and people have uh, uh, begun to do the same intensive research to f not only find secrets of ancient cultures and ancient peoples, but they're wanting to find out something about God. They're thinking that God may have spoken in these ancient relics and, and through these ancient uh, uh, religious rituals that surrounded these, and people are, are uh, spending their lives because they want to find out something about God and something about their lives from these structures. These things are all off the wall. They're uh, hunches and hoaxes and conjectures. They make great reading if you get the National Enquirer. But this morning, God did do that. God did cause a structure to be built that by looking upon that structure, if you were of that generation or by reading of that structure in the Word of God, God would speak to you. That God would reveal who He was. That God would reveal His plan uh, for all time. That God would reveal His, His nature, His purposes. God would reveal His uh, uh, redemption and His work of salvation. That God did in fact give a structure that was not only to speak to a particular generation that worshipped uh, through that tabernacle, but that that tabernacle is, uh, is referred to in almost every book of the Bible. 
And that tabernacle was meant to speak for God, not only in that generation, but every generation. And so you and I don't simply take that and, and shove that aside as, well, that's the Old Testament and that's all gone. The writers of the Bible did not uh, cast that aside and did not throw that away as irrelevant. It constantly was bleeding into their, their writing, constantly upon their minds. as They sought to grasp what God had done through Jesus Christ on the cross. Immediately their minds triggered on the tabernacle as they thought of the church and the powerful thing that God had done in the making of the church. That, uh, that Their minds immediately would go to the tabernacle. Salvation would be uh, given in tabernacle language. The, uh, the, uh, the believer and the believer's experience of relationship with God, they would grope to uh, express that and to explain that. And it would always come in. There, there would be the language of the tabernacle. See, when you and I begin to look and begin to understand the significance of this tent of this structure that was built uh, for the uh, Hebrews as they wandered and as they first stepped foot on the land of Canaan. You and I are going to see a whole vast panorama of Scripture and of understanding that will open before you. Things that you uh, just breezed over before that you could not see the significance of. Many of those are unlocked by an understanding of the tabernacle. See, so you and I aren't archaeologists this morning. That's, that's, I don't know of any of us that are that. And we're not uh, uh, so much interested in just uh, finding out the uh, nature of past cultures. You and I just work regular jobs. We're electricians and garbage collectors. And we work in U.S. motors or out at the aluminum plant or we work in homes, they're going our jobs, and we're not really concerned about uh, just what this means just to speak to us about an, a, a past culture, a past day. But you and I, I believe, are really concerned through all the, the spiritual lethargy that we battle and the spiritual dullness that uh, comes upon us more than we'd like to admit. We really would like God to be real in our lives. We'd really like God to dwell with us. God to be made real to us more than ever before. That upon our jobs, that God would dwell with us and, and be made real to us. That God would be made active. And God would, uh, His presence would be expressed in, in the day-by-day -day affairs of our lives. I believe that that's a desire that all of us have. We'll see, God has never changed. Dispensations change, uh, God's way of revelation may change, but God has never changed. And God gave a pattern of how, of what was necessary if He would dwell with man. And though the, uh, we don't have a tabernacle today, it's the same God. He hasn't changed one bit, and the principles that He revealed there are not just principles so that he would dwell in the midst of a, of a nomadic people back a few thousand years ago, but those principles still hold true today that God could dwell with you and I on our jobs, in our homes, that God would be made real in our lives, made real in our experience. The principles are eternal, and I believe we'll see those as we begin to study. Let's read uh, Exodus chapter 25, 
verses 1 through 9. Somebody want to read that for me in a good loud voice, Brother Ken Helton. Thank you. Okay, that I may dwell among men. As we learned in our last study with Pastor Mitchell, that God is everywhere. God is omnipresent. His being is everywhere. But God is not everywhere made real. God is not everywhere made active. And it's for you and I, there's a responsibility that we have to make God real in our lives, to see God uh, do what He wants to do through our lives and in our assembly. And that uh, has to do with some timeless principles uh, that are revealed in this passage of Scripture. Let's first look at uh, this morning the commencement of all this, just some inter introductory thoughts. And I hope that we can get through these this morning. If not, we'll uh, wrap them up quickly uh, next week. But uh, I need somebody to get me Genesis 3, 22 through 24. Dennis, uh, and then uh, some other scriptures, if you'd hold these for a while. Exodus 25, 9 and 40, Brother Bernier. Uh, Exodus 26, 30, Brother Bronson. Uh, Exodus 27, 8. Somebody over here, Mike Elsis, uh, uh, over in the far section, number eight, numbers 8-4, Brother Dwayne Renz, uh, Acts 7-44, someone over here, Acts 7-44, uh, Brother um, Herman, and then Brother Bill Hunt, Hebrews 8-5. Okay, now why was it necessary for God to make a tabernacle to uh, to uh, give the directions for the tabernacle what why was this necessary for god to dwell with man couldn't he just just come on the scene here i am uh, no problem uh, i'm i'm here to relate to you and have fellowship with you there's a, there's some problems here dave okay there there's a problem with man's sin and that causes that's a, causes a breakdown between uh, between God and man. Genesis twenty, I'm sorry, Genesis three twenty two through twenty four. The Lord God said, "Bring the sword, which turned every, turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life." Okay, man is cast out of the garden because, as David said because of sin. What was the nature of the relationship between man and God up to this point? What kind of relationship did they have? Ben? Okay, brother. I'm sorry. Okay, what was that relationship? Okay, walked with them in the cool of the day. Relationship, uh, eyeball to eyeball, person to person, uh, uh, talked and fellowship, just an unbroken fellowship and experience with God. God, that, that was not because uh, Adam uh, just, he just uh, 
blew up out of some muck and said, God, I feel like I have a relationship with you. Come on down and, and let's have a relationship. But see, this relationship was God's idea, wasn't it? God made man. God came down and walked with man and visited man. God desires relationship with man. That's the desire of God's heart. That's not something that's foreign to God or something that He grudgingly uh, gives or when He's got time, maybe, uh, or if He's in the mood that He'll come and dwell with us. God desires to have relationship with man. But man broke that off because of sin, and now there's a separation that exists between God and man, and this is this very sin problem. So God comes, we're going to pass over a bunch of Bible history at this point, but now has come the deliverance from the nation of Egypt, that Israel has been in bondage and in slavery to Pharaoh in Egypt, that God has sent his deliverer and has caused through signs and wonders that those people be released, the Red Sea parts, they go through the other side, there is the experience of the, uh, the setting free of the people from uh, bondage. They now uh, have, uh, have been set free, and God gives them the law, and then God prescribes this method, this tent, this dwelling, so He can dwell with them again. The Passover lamb is, is blood is shed. The blood is put on the doorposts and the lentils. They are set free. They go through the, the Red Sea. They're a redeemed people. They've been set free. Uh, but now God wants to dwell with them again. And we still have this problem. And God knows we have this problem. But God desires to dwell. And so God begins to prescribe how God can dwell with people. Because this is his desire. The tabernacle is sometimes called the sanctuary. It is called the tent. Uh, or the tabernacle, I'm sorry, the tabernacle of the congregation. And the tabernacle of witness. Sanctuary, congregation, and witness. What are those are three names that that the tabernacle is called? What do you think the significance of these three names are? Think a minute. What? Why? What is the significance of sanctuary of of the tabernacle of the congregation or the tabernacle of witness? Okay. Okay, good, excellent. Other thoughts back here, sister? Okay. How about congregation? What, what's the significance there? Okay, it has a relationship, not, not just an individual thing. This is, this is purely for the individual. Uh, the worshipers will have to come one by one. You can't just uh, uh, smash through the gate and climb over the brazen altar and get to the presence of God one by one. But there is the uh, understanding that this is for a people. 
Not just a lone ranger, but this is for a people. And the, now the significance of witness that our sister already alluded to. Something about this tabernacle that will have to do with witness. Okay, there's going to be something about this. It's not just going to be the dwelling place of God uh, that, uh, you know, that, that is just there to, to be looked at, not simply just for the uh, worship of the assembly, but there's going to be an aspect of this that this is going to speak. This is going to be a witness to the nations. That, uh, that, though, uh, that though they come from wherever, they can look upon this. Uh, this is explained to them, and they can begin to come to grips with the nature of the God of Israel. And so this is all things that we'll look at, uh, the nature uh, having to do with the nature of God dwelling with us, the nature of uh, this as the congregation and uh, as a witness uh, to the world. Now, what's really important for us to... Uh, Remember, and a principle that is so significant about the tabernacle has to do with this word pattern. And I'd like uh, these scriptures to be read, Exodus 25, 9 and 40. Okay, uh, 26, 30. Okay, uh, could you read that again? Okay, according to the pattern. 27.8. Okay, numbers 8.4. Acts 7.44. Okay, and finally, Hebrews 8.5. Okay, pattern. Make it according to pattern. See that you make it according to the pattern. See that you do it in the fashion that it was shown to you. Uh, time and time again, there's others that we could look at uh, that all, all through uh, the pattern. See that you make it just so. This was not something that you say, well, I, I'm, I want to dwell with you and uh, I'd like kind of a tent thing and uh, just make a, uh, however you feel like making it. This was a pattern that was given. That God's presence and God's dwelling with them and God's activity in their lives and making Himself real was linked to pattern. Was linked to keeping to the pattern. Now we have been uh, looking at this uh, as it relates to the assembly, that God's presence uh, is linked to, to uh, our order of worship and what we do, and that is uh, keeping to the pattern. We'll be looking at that uh, as it relates also to the tabernacle. See, God moves by pattern. God reveals by pattern. When Jesus came, He was a pattern. He made disciples. He sought to pattern people after Himself. 
That when God wanted to reveal Himself in uh, Jesus Christ, He became a pattern of what a man should be, a pattern of what a Christian should be. When it came to, be, to what a church should be, He didn't just give some theory about what a church ought to be like. He caused the book of Acts to be written and gave a pattern. See, the trouble with the church world today is we're more concerned with theory than pattern. Something that's always irked me is people describing the early church as the primitive church. You ever heard that term? The primitive church. Now, to me, that there's something off the wall about that. And if you use that, you know, just uh, bear with me. But there's something off the wall about the primitive church. It's like you picture, uh, uh, you know, Paul and Peter and they're just got uh, bear skins on and, and rocks and ugh, ugh, uh, you know, preach, uh, uh, yeah, uh, witness. Uh, uh, and uh, it's just this primitive stuff that they're involved in and little primitive assemblies. And well, now we're modern and now we've got nice buildings and nice uh, uh, orders of service and we've got nice uh, uh, mailing lists and uh, and uh, Satellites and now we've got this. That was the primitive church. That was when they just ugged and uh, and grunted and just preached on the streets and witnessed and prayed for the sick and and did all that primitive stuff. Well, that wasn't just a, a little primitive picture for you and I to develop nice theories about uh, what the church ought to be like and write nice books uh, on the theories uh, of what a church ought to be and, and what the church ought to be involved in the, in the earth. That was our pattern. That was a pattern for us to follow. The problem with the church world today is they've, they've uh, thrown away the pattern they don't, don't do what the, what the book of Acts did, but they look at the book of Acts, uh, spiritualize it, and make some wonderful theories about it. But see, that's not how God moves. God moves according to pattern. Brother Jeff. Yes, amen. Sister? between pattern and ritual. Okay. Uh, pattern and ritual. Do we have any comments on that while I'm thinking? <laughs> Brother Dwayne? Okay. All right. Good. Brother? Good. Uh, sister? Okay. Okay, good. Jeff, I'm sorry. Okay, good. See, a pattern is something that is given to us in the Word of God. God's Word is alive. It is quick and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. Jesus said, My words are spirit and they are life. 
When we are going by the pattern of the living Word of God and we're people with the reality of God in our lives, then that is not what we'd consider in the, uh, a, a ritual. That's a following of pattern in the obedience of life that, uh, that does express the life of God. Ritual is that thing which we just create on our own as a replacement for the reality of God. When we, don't, uh, when we don't sense God's reality in our lives, then we get mystical or we get ritualistic. Amen. Sister back here. Yes, and usually ritual is not based on a pattern. Usually ritual is based on the theories. Okay, it's, it's taking, uh, saying, and the, and the apostles, they gave themselves to the breaking of bread, to the word of God, and to prayers. Well, to, to us, uh, that means fellowshipping together and, and uh, hearing preaching uh, and, uh, and uh, coming to prayer meeting. But if you're going to, because that's the pattern that we see in the book of Acts. But the theory that you develop is, oh, breaking bread, that's, uh, that's having communion and uh, the apostles' teaching, that's listening to what the Pope says, and uh, then uh, uh, and to prayers, that's reciting uh, prayers, because even though they prayed from their heart, that it's, it's okay to, to write out your prayers and read them. See, it's, that's, that's what happens. The ritual is based on the theory and not on the pattern. Okay, good. Let's move off from that, and let's quickly move on to just... Uh, let me uh, make a crude drawing of what we're talking about. Now, first of all, this is a temporary structure. We're talking about something we can, we can see. Well, now with the revelation of Jesus and the uh, being born again, being filled with the Holy Ghost, you and I don't need uh, images that we, to worship. We don't need to set up a tabernacle and, and contemplate the tabernacle to, uh, to have an experience with God. God has been made real in our experience. This was temporary. We, don't, uh, we didn't make this building after this structure. You don't have to have a, a church building that looks like the tabernacle for God to visit you. This is passed away. But the pattern, the truths that are there still remain. It was made, as we saw, of the free will offerings of the people that they gave. It was overseen by two men, uh, Bezalel and Aholiab. Uh, uh, let me just write their, their names down. And a holy ab. These two guys were uh, empowered by the Holy Ghost to uh, do the work that had to be done. And so we have uh, and this is all we'll look at in a couple of weeks. This is all linen that is around here. It's a linen fence. There's a gate right here. That's the only way. There's only one way, and it's through this gate. As soon as you come through the gate, you have to face the, the brazen altar. As you get past that, then there is the laver. It's a uh, structure holding water. Then here you have the tabernacle itself. 
Here is the holy place. And this is the holy of holies or the most holy place. Inside uh, of this structure, you'll have the uh, candlestick that we saw in the book of Revelation, saw in our study on the mysteries. Here there'll be a table of showbread. And here there'll be the golden altar of incense. This is in the holy place. And here you'll have the Ark of the Covenant. Those are, those are angels. Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat. The Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat. Now here is where the congregation, the people... Could worship here, come, there's sacrifices, uh, wash at the labor. There, there's uh, the, the people uh, are worship and their experiences here. This holy place can only be entered by the priests. You couldn't enter unless you were a Levite. And this most holy place only once a year by the high priest. Once a year. See, that's the glorious thing of salvation. Not just one person that can come into the presence of God uh, one time a year and then they had to put some bells on his cloak and tie a rope to him. And as long as they heard the bells stop ringing, they knew he, he wasn't good enough and they had to drag him out. Okay, now that could happen to each one of us. But thank God for the blood of Jesus and forgiveness that you and I, uh, because Jesus went right through and uh, in, uh, because of his righteous life, he's made a way that we can all enter the presence of God. But that's, that's for later. But this is your basic structure. This is the, the, uh, the tabernacle, the outer court, then the, uh, the holy place, the holy of holies, all in one tent considered the tabernacle. Amen. And we looked at the seven pieces of furniture. When you read the Bible, the Bible comes this way. As you're reading, the Bible exp expresses it all in this fashion. Why would the Bible express it in this way? Give the description in that direction. Okay, it's God reaching out to man. See, that's always, this, this is not our idea. This is not us trying to get God to have fellowship with us. This is God saying, I want to dwell with you. And so, and from the very presence of God, He communicates. But you and I, and how we will be studying this is the way that we must approach and the way that the, the pattern is, is in this fashion. Through the gate the altar, the labor, and all this, the significance of all of these. And you'll also find that in this, it wasn't just uh, set in the middle of the camp, but uh, at, at random, but there were people that they had certain places that they would all live and their tents would be all around. And uh, there was a certain structure there, and we're not going to get into that, uh, but... 
uh, that was all, uh, it was in the very center of the camp. Now, why do, do we bother studying this? Why even give ourselves to this time? See, the fact is that there is more written on the tabernacle in the Bible than any other single subject in the Word of God. More space given to the tabernacle than any other single issue in the entire Bible. Now, God's a God of economy. God doesn't waste words. And if that were just for a past generation, then he could have, uh, didn't even have to put it in the Bible. But he not only thought it to be significant, but gave it a central place in the revelation of the Word of God. You'll find it, as I said before, it's referred to obviously in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. It's it's referred to constantly in the history, uh, books of the Bible, then in the poetry, the Psalms and, and uh, the other uh, poetry books. It is all throughout the, uh, the uh, prophets. It's referred to in the Gospels, in the book of Acts, as we've read this morning. It's referred to uh, in the epistles and it's referred to in Revelation. All the way through the Bible, as we say, every writer, every uh, the, when they tried to express spiritual truth, they would uh, they would cause tabernacle imagery to help them to express what they were trying to say. And so, uh, if you and I can uh, can see that, then it would be well to us to look at this tabernacle to gain the understanding that the that the Bible writers had. That perhaps uh, this would help you and I to better see and understand uh, what God is saying to us and God's purpose for our lives. Let's uh, find a couple of scriptures here quickly. First uh, Timothy 3.16. Uh, Heidi and Kathy, uh, Romans 15.4. Uh, Hebrews 8.1 through 5. Uh, Mark Hamilton over here, Dennis. Uh, Hebrews 9.7 through 9. And uh, Hebrews 10.1, someone, uh, Dave Burke. Okay. This is worthy of our attention. God didn't uh, use all of this space and all of this time to, uh, for a minor uh, truth. And in the Word of God, there are two chapters given to the creation of the entire universe. The entire universe in two chapters and 50 chapters to the tabernacle. 50 chapters. Now you and I probably haven't read all those 50 chapters because you fell asleep after the third one. But uh, you and I, we're not going to read every single one. We're going to glean things from those, but obviously important to the heart of God. First Timothy 3.16. Excellent scripture, but the wrong one. I think that's 2 Timothy 3.16. My fault. Sorry. Uh, Romans 15.4. Okay, whatever was written beforehand, whatever, including the thing that was written on more than any other single subject, was written for our help that we, through patience and the comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. 
And so that's what this tabernacle is here for. Do you have that, Heidi? Yes. All Scripture. Okay, all Scripture, including the tabernacle, is given for our instruction. Hebrews 8, 1 through 5. Did I give that to someone? Okay, so here the writer of Hebrews, Paul, is saying, okay, this is, this is the tabernacle. This is, you remember what this referred to. And now this is, a, this is a pattern of a truth that you're experiencing through Jesus right now. All through the book of Hebrews uh, that uh, the, the writer felt that this truth was relevant uh, to the expressing of all that he wanted to do. When he wanted to speak to Hebrews and, and point to the Messiah, then he went right here. Because this uh, becomes a picture of Jesus Christ. Okay, uh, Hebrews 10.1. Okay, again, the, the better sacrifice. All throughout Hebrews, you find the word better, 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 better. Better than what? Well, better than the tabernacle. Better than this. And by, uh, by showing the tabernacle and how this was simply a shadow, but it uh, pointed to the truths that were made real in Jesus Christ, uh, that he brought those Hebrews to a sense of stability in their faith, uh, that this uh, uh, tabernacle was not where it was at, the temple was not the, the great thing, that now Jesus was God tabernacling with man. So things that God was saying for all time about his nature about its plan, about its purposes. There are truths that were not just for a generation, though the tabernacle was just for a certain period of time. The truths are forever, and the truths are to help us tonight, uh, today. John 1.14. Someone? Quickly, uh, Brother John and then Brother Ken. Colossians 1.27. Someone else? Uh, uh, Victor, uh, Acts 15.16. And uh, Hebrews 10, 10, uh, 19 through 20. Hebrews 10, 19 through 20, Brother Todd. Okay, we find that this tabernacle is used to communicate some truths about a number of things in the Word of God that we want to see uh, developed. First, in John 1, 14. Okay, the word dwelt there is the word tabernacled. The revelation uh, coming through John, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The word tabernacled. Again, here's the tabernacle imagery to say, okay, what was Jesus? He was God dwelling with man. He was God coming to reach down to man. He was uh, God's way uh, to God. And uh, we find that uh, all throughout uh, the tabernacle, we'll see a description of Jesus Christ, of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Uh, secondly, Colossians 1.27.
Okay, here's Christ in you. Again, the dwelling place of God. Now in the believer. And there'll be truth that'll come to our lives about, uh, about the Christian life and what we have experienced. Uh, the riches of the salvation that we have been given uh, is, uh, is evidenced and is described in the tabernacle. Uh, Acts 15, 16. Okay, we have uh, this uh, verse that is a prophetic verse about uh, the building of the church. The tabernacle of David is the church of Jesus Christ. And so in this tabernacle with the laver and, and the bronze uh, altar and all these other things uh, is also a description of what the church should be. About things that should exist in the assembly, in the local church. There's a picture of the local church in the tabernacle. And finally, uh, but this is not exhaustive, Hebrews 10, 19 through 20. <clears throat> okay, so we heard a sermon on this uh, last Sunday morning. The new and living way, this experience of salvation that uh, has the, the tabernacle imagery Again, so there are many things that, that we could uh, get into. We're not going to talk about uh, every ring and every thread and every pin and, and, uh, you know, uh, and all the numerology that, that the 153 fish that the disciples caught uh, in John 21 is uh, like the 153 pins that were in the... the you, know, uh, it's, uh, uh, you know, there's so much that you could go overboard, so much that you could get bogged down in. That's not our purpose uh, to get in involved in each one of those things. But there's some truths about Jesus, the truth about our lives as believers, truth about the church, and truth about salvation that you and I could well benefit from, and we'll have to uh, conclude. Thank you. We'll start church in a moment.